0: Looking at John chapter 10 this morning, this, is, um, this passage occurs immediately before the passage that we looked at last week of Jesus' raising Lazarus from the grave, and it occurs still while Jesus is continuing this dialogue that has begun at the Feast of Booths, where he said that if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink, um, where he said, I am the light of the world where he immediately stepped out of the temple and then he healed the blind man. And right after that comes this passage in John chapter 10. Another thing about this passage, this passage has two of the I am statements that are present throughout John, where Jesus reveals something about himself. Um, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. But the image that's here today is the most intimate and the most personal of these statements that Jesus gives. So follow along with me as I read from John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used when he was with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers.' But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from the Father. There was again division among the Jews because of his words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, we pray that you would teach us, that you, that you would speak to us, Lord Jesus, through your spirit, that we would hear your voice, and in hearing your voice, we would follow you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Famous passage of scripture, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and he is drawing upon um, many passages of Scripture that refer to the relationship between God and His people as a sheep to a shepherd. You have passages such as Psalm 23, which says, The Lord is my shepherd. The story of Jesus, where He leaves the 99 and goes after the one sheep who has been lost. And a variety of other passages that use this relationship between a shepherd and his sheep as characteristic as of the relationship between God and His people. Now, of all the animals that Jesus could have chosen that were present in an agricultural-based society, cattle, goats, camels, horses, dogs, chickens, he picks this image of the shepherd in relationship to his sheep. Of all of those relationships between a keeper and their animals, the shepherd to his sheep is the most intimate of them. And it is also the most comprehensive. And the reason why it is the most intimate and most comprehensive is because sheep are helpless and are unbelievably stupid. And many other things is that sheep are creatures of habit. They will follow down a desolate path even though that there is excellent forage off the path, they will not go to where they can eat because they are used to walking on a particular path and will not go to better pasture. They are constantly wandering off, um, getting lost, leaving the, leaving the herd, running the wrong direction. When everyone runs this way, they turn and run this the opposite direction. So when you get a passage of scripture like Jesus leaving the 99 to go after the one and he carries that sheep, that lamb back on his shoulder, we have this image in our mind of this, you know, cute, cuddly, fuzzy, fluffy little lamb that Jesus' heart is so moved for that has just wandered off and he goes out and he finds this lamb and he sweeps it up and he cuddles it and he nuzzles it and he snuggles with this lamb so happy to have his, his, you know, his teddy bear back with him as he walks back to, as he walks and brings it back to the fold. Um, A shepherd would laugh at that image because shepherds were frequently pursuing wandering sheep. And what shepherds would have to do is the reason why they carried the sheep on their shoulder is because a, shepherd would wand, a sheep would wander off somewhere, the shepherd would come, the sheep would freak out and start running from side to side, not knowing which, not knowing which way to go. At that point, the shepherd would have to run into the sheep, knock him over on its back, tie up his front legs, tie his back legs together, and then throw the sheep over his shoulder and carry it back to the flock. He had to do this because he couldn't put a harness on the sheep because the sheep wouldn't follow the harness. He couldn't do it just walking ahead because the sheep would get lost and distracted and might not even go at that particular moment. And so the, sheep, the shepherd carries the sheep back because that is the only way for the sheep to get back to the herd, to the flock, rather. Sheep are known for being stupid, they're known for being timid, they're known for being uh, stubborn. They are frightened by the most ridiculous things, running all kinds of which directions. Other times, they are, um, there is nothing that can move them, and they are completely and absolutely defenseless. And of all of the animals that are subject to husbandry, it is sheep that require the most work, and... Dear ones, this is the relationship that the Lord chooses to characterize our relationship with him and his relationship with us. That he is the shepherd and that he is the sheep. Well, look at what's described in this passage. He identifies at the beginning that it is the good shepherd who calls his sheep. Two different images that are used here describe the calling of the shepherd to his sheep. Starting off in verse 2 and 3. It says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, to the shepherd, the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. The image that's being used here is of a communal sheep pen, which would be present in a town or a village. And that shepherds, if they would come to town, is that they would have, there would be a gigantic pen that all the shepherds would leave their sheep in, and if they needed to go conduct business, there would be a gatekeeper who was hired. And the gatekeeper would guard all of the flocks that were there when the shepherd returns, the gatekeeper would open the gate to the shepherd, and then he would come in and he would call his sheep he would call his sheep out of this fold that is mixed with other flocks of sheep. The assumption that Jesus, excuse me as Jesus is being teaching here is that this image assumes that when Jesus comes in, some of them are his sheep and others of them are not his sheep. Verse 4 makes it explicit. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And specifically where this passage is located, what it's referring to, mind you, this was right after the Feast of Booths. Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. He says that in the temple, right after he says, I am the light of the world in the temple treasury, right after he steps outside and he heals a blind man, this passage immediately following after this, speaking to the same crowd, what Jesus is identifying here is that he is the shepherd who comes. And he has come to the sheep pen of Judaism, and he is calling his sheep out of the pen. And not everyone is his sheep. Jesus also makes clear in verse 16 That is not just those of Jewish heritage, but verse 16 says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. This image of Jesus calling those who are his from the folds of the earth, calling them to himself where he is the good shepherd. The image then shifts slightly where Jesus Um, shifts slightly in verse 7, whereas in the first one it describes Jesus as the shepherd who comes to the gate. The gate opens up and then he calls those who are his out. They hear his voice and they respond. Verse 7, the images shift slightly. It's not an expansion of the image, it's a shifting of the image. And it says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and will find pasture. I am the door. This image here is drawing from first century sheep pens. And what would happen is that scattered across the hillsides and pastures is that shepherds would create these pens on the hillside. While while their sheep were foraging, they would take the stones in the field and build up these pens. And then when nighttime would come, the shepherd would call his sheep And he would lead his sheep into the sheep pen, and they would follow him into the pen. And if you asked a shepherd, where was the door on this pen, the shepherd would respond by saying, I'm the door. Because what the shepherd would do is that the shepherd would sleep in the gap on the pen. And so the shepherd literally became the door for the sheep pen. He is the living door, that the only way into the fold or out of the fold is through Jesus. The only way to go out to pasture, to an abundant life, as verse 10 says, is through Him. When nighttime comes, no sheep enters or leaves without crossing the shepherd, who is the gate and the door. No wolf enters without encountering the shepherd. What Jesus is revealing by this image is he's saying, I am the door. There's one way in and there's one way out, and that's through me. I am the protector. I am the one who defends my sheep from the wolves. I am the provider. I am the one who leads my sheep into good pastures and into abundant life. Through me, and only through me, you will be saved. You will be safe, and you will be secure. Nobody comes through the door except through me. And so what do the sheep do? They hear his voice. And they follow him. Now, it's passages like these that sometimes people object to the exclusivity of Christianity and the exclusivity of Jesus' teaching. And so you have these two images of it. One, Jesus deliberately and specifically saying that he is calling those who are his out of a mixed fold. That's an exclusive statement for those who are there. And he goes on to say that he is the door, that it is only through him. That people come in and come out. You know, this idea, and people say, well, you know, how, how can you hold to such an exclusive perspective? Many people in our culture, television, radio, movies, songs, would hold to such, teach, such views. Um, one of those, you know, who has said repeatedly and over and over again would be Oprah. You know, Oprah said, one of the mistakes that human beings make is by believing that there is only one way to live. And we don't accept that there are diverse ways to being in the world. And she goes on to expressly state, which she has stated many times, that there are many paths to what you would call God. Now, in this particular encounter, an audience member said, asked her a question, said that you needed to have faith in Jesus Christ as the only way. To which Oprah responded, there can't possibly be only one way. And I'm not going to get into a religious argument with you right now. But what she's articulating is she's just articulating a view that's so widely prominent. Certainly, maybe it's a view that you've had. Maybe it's a view you have today. Or maybe it's a view that people have said to you. And the image of, you know, a common image that's used to describe this view is that there is the pathway to God. You know, it's like climbing up a mountain. And, and you are on this path, and you are on this path, and you are, are, are straining to, to get to the top of the mountain, which would be God. Um, and you need to find your path. Maybe you need to find your own path, but it doesn't really matter which path you choose because all paths, there are many paths that will lead to the top of the mountain. Maybe Christianity, maybe Islam, maybe Hinduism. Maybe you're not a—you're one who follows a path. You're a, you're a path maker. You're a trailblazer. You find your own path. Well, that's whatever. That's okay because there are many paths that get to the top. Another image that's sometimes used to describe this is that of multiple blind people, blind men, who are touching an elephant and describing an elephant. And the description is, well, what's an elephant like? The person who's touching the wall, the side of the elephant, says, it's like a wall. Or the person who's squeezing the leg of an elephant says, it's like, an elephant's like a tree. And the person who's touching the tusks says, no, an elephant is like a spear, And the argument would go well, just like in this picture, all of them are partially right and they're partially wrong. And so, different paths to God is that different world religions, all of them are describing things and they are partially right and they are partially wrong, is the way that the argument goes. But the question in this that says all paths lead to God, all paths up the mountain, the world religions are just blind men trying to describe an elephant the question that that begs is to say, I understand what you're saying, but, but who gives you the exclusive vantage point? How, how come you're the one that gets to see where all the paths lead and nobody else does? How, come, how is it that you are the one person who sees and everyone else is blind? How is it that you can claim to see, see so clearly? Who gave you the knowledge of God to declare what is right and what is wrong? And there is this hidden, this hidden and sometimes not so hidden audacity with it of the view to, to criticize the religions of the world as being exclusive. But you yourself are free to say they're all wrong, and I'm the one that has the right view on how all these things work together. I mean, those who are religious leaders, genuinely, I mean, they understand the differences, they accept the differences. They respect the differences, and they respect the relative consequences of not subscribing to the other pathways that are there. But those who claim to hold to an inclusive view is really a closet exclusivism. Because any and every truth claim is always exclusive. Any claim to truth excludes other things. And so Jesus' exclusivity is no more exclusive than anyone else's exclusivity. He's just forthright and acknowledges that the pathway is through him. But the other difference on Jesus is that Jesus comes along and says, the way to God is not for those who find the right path, not for those who make it to the top of the mountain, but it's for anybody. Anybody, regardless of your background. Regardless if you have the ability to get to the top of the mountain." regardless of whether or not you see or are blind, regardless of your heritage, is that Jesus calls to people of every tribe, race, nation, and station in life. He calls to everyone and says, come. I am the gate and come through me. You can have life abundant and you can have, go in and out to pasture and protection and you can know the good shepherd. Is that Jesus calls, the good shepherd calls his sheep. image that Jesus gives here developing this is that not only does Jesus call his sheep, but Jesus knows his sheep. I know them. I know my own, and they know me. Uh, Biblical commentaries, when you're looking at this image of Jesus being the good shepherd, um, there are quite a number of books that describe uh, shepherd's reflections on Jesus being the good shepherd, or a shepherd writes about Psalm 23 and knowing the good shepherd. And there's a there's a variety of these things, they're pretty, pretty easy to find. And one of the books describes a story of a shepherd, and he was he had gone to market into town. The pastor had gone with him, and they had gone to market in town, and he had brought several of his, his lambs to sell, several of his sheep to sell sell. They come to the sheep market, and there are thousands and thousands of sheep that are there. And he sells his sheep, and he does the other business that he needs to do over the course of the day. And at the end of the day, he gets on the train, and he heads out of town. And as the day is ending, the various people that have come in are now taking their flocks, and they are exiting the town, and they are going back out into the countryside with their flocks, with their sheep and the new sheep that they have purchased as they head back out into town. And as they're on this train heading out of town, the shepherd looks out at one of the flocks, as there are multiple flocks who are leave, leading, leaving, and he goes, that one over there, that, that flock, they've got four of my lambs. That one's got four of my lambs. That on a train leaving town, the shepherd knew his sheep. He could see amidst the flock that that flock the four lambs that I sold are in that flock right there walking that direction. He knows his sheep and that's the image that Jesus gives to us here in this passage. And more specifically he says not only does he knows you but he knows you by name. He calls you by name and leads and leads you out. That in Christ Jesus the good shepherd knows you. You are not just some face in the crowd. Yes, Salvation is for the people of God. But he knows you individually. For some of you, it is unimaginable that God would know you personally. That that he would care for you. That he would know your name and actually care about your name. For some of you, it's because you feel... You know, that you feel too, maybe too stupid. You feel too sheepish. You feel too much like a disappointment or that you've wandered away too many times. Or maybe you're one that you feel like, well, you know what? Yeah, I know that if I believe in Jesus, God will accept me, but I'm just going to hide in the flock. I'm just going to hide behind others. He's not going to notice me. There's no particular care for me. What he does for everyone, he does for me, and that's fine. But that's not the image that Scripture gives. It's that he knows you by name. And Scripture testifies to this again and again. Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And the good shepherd says to you, I know you. I know your name. I know your sheepishness. I know all of the stupid things that you've done. I know how you feel frenzied and insecure and at times neurotic and exhausted. I know your fearfulness and your shame and how you'd rather hide and think that nobody notices you and sees you. And not only do I know all of these things about you, I know all the stupid things that you're going to do next year and the year after that and the other things you're going to be afraid of five years from now. I know everything about you because you are my sheep. And I am your shepherd. An even more beautiful picture of that, about how God knows us and how Jesus knows us, there's this striking parallel that Jesus makes between the shepherd and his sheep. Verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Just as. How well does the shepherd know his sheep? He knows them as well as the Father, heavenly Father, knows the Son, Jesus Christ. That's how well God knows you. But notice the other side of this and how, I think, somewhat shocking this is. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. That the shepherd knows his sheep just as the father knows the son. But the sheep, you, can know the shepherd as deeply, as intimately, as affectionately as the sheep know the shepherd as the son knows the father. Is that how you know God? Is that level of intimacy and knowledge how you would characterize your relationship with God? J.I. Packer, in his book Knowing God, tells a story about this exact point. He said, I walked in the sunshine with a scholar who had effectively forfeited his prospects of academic advancement by clashing with church dignitaries over the gospel of grace. What happened? This scholar was being true to this word of God, being true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and his career was completely and utterly tanked because of that. They were reflecting about this, and the scholar gave this comment. He said, But it doesn't matter, he said at length, for I have known God and they haven't. The mark was a mere parenthesis a passing comment on something I had said, but it has stuck with me and has set me thinking. Not many of us, I think, would ever naturally say that we have known God, Packer continues. The words imply a definiteness and a matter-of-factness of experience to which most of us, if we are honest, have to admit that we're still strangers. We claim perhaps to have a testimony and we can rattle off our conversion story with the best of them. We say that we know God. I mean, this is, after all, what evangelical Christians are supposed to say. But would it, would it occur to us to say without hesitation and with reference to particular events in our personal histories that we have known God? I doubt it. For I suspect that with most of us, experience of God has never become so vivid as that. First time I read these words, they had a profound impact on me. And it set me on a quest not just to know about God, but to know Him. To know Him deeply, to know God Himself to know him not just as he knows me, but to know him as the Son knows the Father, that I would know the Good Shepherd with that level of intimacy, knowledge, affection, and devotion. There is no one who knows you like the Good Shepherd. And there is no one that you can know like the Good Shepherd. And it is his voice that calls to you. So follow him. The good shepherd calls his sheep. He knows his sheep. And the emphasis on this passage is that it is the good shepherd who dies for his sheep. In fact, he states it four times in this passage I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I know this for the Father. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep for this reason. The Father loves me, that because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He lays down his life. He dies for the sheep. Now, we've looked at this comprehensive and intimate care that the shepherd has for his sheep. But why does the shepherd do that when other animals are so much easier to take care of? It's because sheep are of incredible value. And in an agricultural society, pound for pound, sheep are the most valuable of the animals. Because it's with a sheep, you can provide clothing for your family from his, from his, uh, from his fleece. And from the wool that he produces. And then there's the skin which provides clothing and leather. And the meat and food and then the milk that, the, that, that it would produce. They're incredibly valuable. And because of their values, the shepherd loves them. And it's because that God has set his love and affection upon you. That he knows you by name and he lays down his life for those who are his sheep, and he, lays his, and he dies for them. And the, when, when Christ dies for his sheep, when the good shepherd lays down his life, this isn't a reckless love. This isn't a love that says, you know what, let me show you how much I love you. I'm going to go jump in front of a car just to show you how much I love you. I mean, that's idiotic. And similarly, though a, a shepherd might die defending his flock, a shepherd would never intend to die, right? I mean, if a shepherd's defending his flock, he's like saying, I'm not going to go, I'm gonna, I'm, he, might, he might die, but he doesn't intend to die when he's defending his flock. But the good shepherd lays down his life. He intends to die for his flock so that they could be rescued and so that they could have life. The good shepherd knows that his sheep are in mortal danger, That there is something that would devour them. Sin, death, and the devil. And he gives himself as a substitute. In their defense, he loses his life so that they would be saved by his death. And it's intentional and it's purposeful. Verse 17 makes that clear. Because I lay down my life that, so that I may take it up again. That Jesus lays down his life with the resurrection in view is that he died in order to rise. And he died in order to rise so that he could defeat that which would devour us, sin, death, and the devil, and so that he can rise to new life and give to us life and life abundantly. He said the thieves and robbers come only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. Not just some dull and mundane and dour and somber and serious and stern existence, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That you would have a life knowing the Good Shepherd where you are flourishing, where there is meaning in your life, where a life of being known by Him and being being known by Him and also of knowing the Good Shepherd. You see, this picture is that Jesus calls his sheep, and he knows his sheep, and he dies for his sheep, and the sheep hear his voice, and they know his voice, and they follow his voice. So let me ask you, what voices right now are you listening to? Like, there are so many voices that come at us. There are voices from our own past that tell us this is what it means to have an abundant life, or at least this is what it means that you would not be a failure and a disappointment. Voices that continue to rattle around in our own heads. There are voices that our own heart speaks to us from our lust and our own desires. There are voices within our culture, whether that's from Oprah or Tony Robbins, voices from uh, financial advisors or, or people who want to make money who, who say, this is what it means to have an abundant life. If you live your money life this way, if you spend your money this way, this is what's going to get you to an abundant life. voice is about, you know, if you get to this level of success and then your life is going to be full. If you can have this kind of vacation, if you watch HGTV and have this type of home and this type of decorations and this type of space. If you have acreage where you can be away from everybody else, then you're going to be able to have, have an abundant life. There are voices that are constantly saying to you, this is what matters most. If you achieve this position, if you can retire with this amount of money, if you can get your kids into this type of school, then you're going to have an abundant life and your life is going to be filled. And there have been thieves and robbers that have been coming into the church for years Generation after generation, bilking Christians in the church of money and of their devotion to the good shepherd. Because these voices keep coming at them and the sheep for some reason listen to them. What voice are you listening to? Because in the midst of this cacophony of all of these different voices coming out to you, the good shepherd is calling to you. And he calls for you to follow him. A similar way to ask the question, slightly differently, is who is your good shepherd? Who do you look to to be your good shepherd? One pastor reflected on it this way, and he said, it's great to fall in love. It's great to want to be married or to get married. But if you look to your spouse to be your shepherd, the one who's going to take care of you, the one who's who's going to make it all right, the one who always affirms you, the one who finally gives you a name, the one who will shepherd you. If you look to your parents and say, my parents should be the one who name me and lead me, my parents should be the one who are, the, they are my good shepherd. If you look to ministers of the church, if you look to anybody to do this kind of ultimate naming, this ultimate leading, this ultimate shepherding, you will find that Some of them, many of them, are just like the thief, and they will use you for their own. And even those who do it rightly, I mean, spouses rightly care for each other and care for their children. There is none who can lay down their life. There is none who can lay down their life to give you life abundant. There may be people who love you enough that they will sacrifice their life for you, but there is none, there is no one who can lay down their life for you and the result is that you have life and life abundant. That only comes through the good shepherd. And he is the one who knows you, who cares for you, who loves you, who calls to you. And so the response that this passage calls for us is to follow him, to follow the good shepherd. To follow him wholly, unreservedly, unconditionally. To follow the good shepherd, to know the good shepherd, to know his voice, and to follow him. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing that we would do so. Lord Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. That in the midst of so many competing voices that we would hear you, that we would hear your voice, that we would know your voice, that we would respond to your voice. Lord, what a beautiful picture that you know us intimately, that you know us deeply, that you know us personally. Lord, what a beautiful picture that you know us despite our sheepishness, despite our nature, despite our frenziedness, despite our insecurities, fears, wanderings, stupidity, Despite all these things, Lord Jesus, you know us, and you love us, and you have made us your own, and you are the one that leads us to life eternal and life abundant beginning right now. So, Lord Jesus, may we hear your voice, and may we respond and follow you. Through the name of the good shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.